As we continue in our Christmas series looking at simplifying the season, we come to a very familiar story, and it's the story of Mary and Martha. Martha, who was worried over all of the work that had to get done, and Mary, who caught and spent her time worshiping Jesus. If you and I aren't careful, we will get caught up with the work of Christmas instead of the worship of Christ. You see, in the hustle and bustle of this season, it's easy for you and I to forget why and what we're really doing, who we're really celebrating, and that is Jesus. We can get so busy and stressed That it takes an effect not just on our bank accounts, but physically on our bodies. You see, I think if you and I want to simplify the season, we've got to stop making Christmas a job. And we've got to get back to the joy, which is really Jesus Christ. Last week, we saw together the need to confess and to repent. And we saw the gift of God's grace. We saw the gift of His mercy and His forgiveness. And now... As we continue in our series, we're going to see three steps to simplifying the season. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. And for those of you that that like electronics and that kind of a thing, you can also go on to the Bible app, and on there are all the sermon notes and and, uh, the outline for the sermon. So isn't it amazing whether it is a printed physical copy or digital, the Word of God is powerful and effective in our lives. So turn with me to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing, and she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and to help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all of these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, the first step in simplifying this season is, number one, we have to see Christmas from Christ's perspective. Now, some of you, uh, maybe not the younger, but some of you are familiar with the hymn, Beyond the Sunset. And some of you are in the process of Googling that. (laughs) But most of us are not familiar with how the title of that hymn came to be. You see, the author of that, Virgil Brock, was sitting one evening with a group of friends and they were looking out over Winona Lake in Indiana. And they were looking at this amazing sunset, the beautiful reds and the golds, the orange, the yellow, and it was reflecting off the surface of this lake. And you can imagine the majesty of that moment as that group of believers just started talking about God's creation. And in that group was a man who was blind named Horace Burr. And Horace made this statement. He said, I can see without sight. 
And it intrigued them, and they asked him to expound upon that, and he made this profound statement. He said, I think I can see more than most because I can see beyond the sunset. You see, there they were as a group of people, and they were thinking to themselves, here's a guy who is blind. He, he can't see what we see. His perspective is so limited. But you see, what they discovered is he was the one that could see more than them. And I think you and I, as we come to the Christmas season, we want to look at Christmas through our lens, through our life, what's going on in our current circumstances. And what happens is we see the beauty of the sunset, but we don't see more. We don't see beyond the sunset. That's what happened to Martha. And you notice she comes to Jesus and she wants to talk to Jesus about what he needs to do from her perspective. And we approach Christmas from our perspective and in the midst of that we miss Christ. But you notice the love and the tenderness of Jesus here? I mean, I would have been like, dad gummit woman, right? But what does he say? Dear Martha, I want you to understand it from my perspective. And you see, it's that perspective of Christ that changes everything in her life. You and I often struggle with perspective. It's hard for us to put ourselves in other people's shoes. So many relational problems occur, especially in marriage, because we're trying to get our spouse to see life through our lens. And I don't know if you've realized or figured it out yet, but there are different perspectives in marriage, right? There is definitely a female perspective to life. But there's also a male perspective to life. And I want to share both of those for a moment to help you see how, how so often we miss each other's perspective. You see, a female perspective as we're communicating is this. If you're looking, you're listening. And women intuitively know in their mind from their female perspective that if you're truly going to listen to me, you're going to look at me. And so it annoys them when their husband doesn't look because from their perspective, he's not listening. Now, let me give you the male perspective. Here's what happens to us as men. If we were to just look at each other, in this moment, you're starting to get uncomfortable because here's what happens as men. This is not listening, looking. This is a confrontation. Did you see what he just did? He did one of the most respectful things a man can do, right? He looked down. Why did he do that? Because he felt like I was coming to him. He's like, man, why are you picking on me? What, 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 what? And you see, we, we have these relational perspectives in, in marriage, and, and a wife is like looking at her husband, connect with me, look at my heart, listen to my heart. And he does the most respectful thing, and she interprets it, what, from a female perspective as he doesn't care. And so what we're constantly doing in marriage is we're trying to get the other person to look at life through our lens. One of the hardest things for us to do is to walk in somebody else's shoes. And there's also personality perspectives. 
thinkers and feelers, and we're constantly trying to get someone else to look at life the way we look at life. That's what Martha wanted. I want Mary to look at life the way I look at life. I want Jesus to look at life. Everybody needs to look through my lens. But here's what we discover. There's only one lens that matters, and it's the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you and I seeing Christmas from Christ's perspective? Now, I want you to do something with me this morning. I want you just to close your eyes, bow your head for a moment, close your eyes, and I want you to picture your Christmas Eve rolling into Christmas Day, all of the things that you tend to do. And maybe that Christmas morning you get up and and maybe as a family you have a special breakfast, maybe you read the Christmas story, maybe you jump right into opening up the gifts, maybe there's a time where you sit and share things, you feast, all of the time that you spend with your friends and your family. And I'm just going to give you a few moments of silence to run through Christmas Day in your mind. Now here's what I want you to do. Keep your eyes closed. I want you to go back through that exact same day. Only this time, I want you to picture Jesus, God, looking down on all of your activity. And I want you to answer this question. Is he pleased with your celebration of his birth? Now you can open your eyes. Here's what I did. I asked you first to look at your Christmas through your lens. And then I asked you to look at it from the Lord's lens. And I asked you to answer that question, was this pleasing to Jesus? And that's such a hard question to answer. How do we know? Well, in order to do that, we've got to do something incredibly uncomfortable, and that is that we've got to walk in someone else's shoes. And so today, I'm going to ask you to do a really hard thing. I'm going to ask you to step into God's shoes. Now, notice I didn't ask you to fill his shoes, okay? That is impossible, okay? I'm not asking you to be God. I'm just asking you to come and join and look at life through his lens. And in order to do that, we need to go back to the very beginning of the creation of this world. You see, at the very beginning of creation, we have this formless planet, this rock where there's no life and everything's dark and there's chaos. And into that chaos, Christ speaks and there is light and life. And in a mere six days, the whole world is transformed into what we see today. A planet that was void and chaotic and dark becomes a place of light and life, teeming with all kinds of plants and all kinds of animals. And into that, God creates man in his image. Think about that. He created man in his image. And out of man, he creates woman, this help maker. This person that's going to be a companion and come alongside of him that they can do life together and fulfill the Lord's plan. And God places them in a perfect garden with all of the provisions that they will ever need with only one rule. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God in the cool of the day walks with them and does life with them and has relationship with them. But Adam and Eve choose their desires over God's desire. 
Sin enters into the world and it taints everything. But the thing that it wrecks the most is this relationship with God. Because now there is a rift in the relationship. But do you realize that God had a plan? And it says right there in Genesis 3 that this serpent that deceived, that, that it would strike Christ's heel, but that Christ would crush its head. That there would be victory and the restoring of relationship, that that rift would be closed between man and God. You see, in order for that to happen, God had to give up his one and only son, the person that he loved the most. God sent him to earth, not as this conquering superhero, but in the most fragile way possible, clothed in flesh. And he came as a baby, vulnerable, born into a dirt poor family, a family that from the world's perspective had absolutely no status and no standing socially. God knew that his one and only son, Jesus Christ, would be spit on, despised, whipped, stripped and humiliated publicly, nailed to a cruel Roman cross to die for your sins and for my sins because God knew this, that the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled on the cross of Calvary wouldn't just cover our sin, it would conquer our sin once and for all. Now let me ask you, is that your perspective of Christmas? Because I asked you not just to see the sunset, but beyond the sunset. I asked you to see not just the cross, but I asked you to see the empty tomb. You see, so often we get caught up with our perspective of Christmas. And so I want to ask you, is your perspective Christ's perspective? Or have you gotten so wrapped up in the season you've forgotten the real reason that we are celebrating Christmas, that it is all about Jesus Christ and his finished work. You see, the second step after you and I see Christmas from Christ's perspective, the second step to simplifying the season is that we've got to say no to competing distractions. Martha here had really good intentions. She greeted God as a guest into her home. But church, can I tell you that good intentions don't always result in good choices? That you and I can have the best intentions in the world, but if we don't make Jesus our number one priority, good intentions don't always lead to good choices. And it's here that we see Martha choose the tasks over the truth. This list of things to get done over the Lord Jesus Christ. And she wants everything to be perfect. And how many of us today in the pursuit of a perfect Christmas miss his presence because of perfection? Jesus didn't come so we could have the perfect Christmas. He came so we could have peace at Christmas. And I'm going to tell you, many of us were pursuing perfection instead of peace. We want to have this perfect Christmas where everything works from whose perspective? Our perspective. Let me tell you something about God's perspective. It's a perspective of peace. We need peace with him and peace with each other. And I think if we were honest in our families today, we would say the number one thing I want is not just for us to get along, but for us to do life together, for there to be true peace that rules over our relationships in our home. You see... Martha missed the best part of Jesus, the relationship. And 
Isn't it amazing how you and I, when we get so busy trying to create a perfect Christmas, we miss Christ at Christmas? We miss His peace? You see, the definition of distraction is missing the best part of Jesus. And what was that? The relationship. Just sitting with Him. And somehow in the fundamental Christian world, we have convinced ourselves the best part is the serving. But I'm going to tell you, it is the sitting with Jesus Christ and just doing life with Him one-on-one. Mary, in contrast, is sitting at the Lord's feet and soaking up His words. It's the difference between duty and devotion. And that distraction affects Martha in several ways. And the first way that it affects her is it causes her to resort to self-pity. And she ends up having this pity party. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair? Doesn't it seem wrong? And she focuses on her circumstances, not on Jesus Christ. And all of the things that are not going right and are wrong according to her lens as she looks at life. And what's amazing here is Scripture says that she was distracted by much serving. I think the saddest statement we can make of a believer is this. I miss the Savior because of the serving. Church, do you know how easy that is? Can I ask you why are we serving? Because of the Savior. And what happens to you and I when we get so caught up serving, so distracted by the serving that we no longer see the Savior, then what or who are we serving? And what happens is we start to serve self. And life becomes unfair and it's all about me and it's no longer about the Master. Some of us, we're going to have a pity party. We're not going to have Christmas. Because we're going to be so focused on the circumstances of our life and all of the things that from our perspective aren't fair that we're going to miss the heart of the Father. Second thing that happens here is distraction causes her to become angry with others. Angry with her sister and angry with her Savior. Anger is a protest. And I want you to see the progression here. We have our little pity party and then we go into protest. Can I ask you, where's the praise? Jesus just came to my house. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords showed up for lunch, and I'm having a pity party, and I'm protesting. How does that happen? Because we get angry. Some of you today, you're missing the Almighty because you're angry. You're angry at God. You're angry at siblings. You're angry at your family. You're angry at co-workers. You're just angry. Martha started wanting to be a blessing to people. That's what a host or hostess does. And she went from being a blessing to barking at people. How many times does that describe us during the holiday season, Christmas? We want to be a blessing to our family, but before long we're barking at them. How does that happen? Because we allow our lives to be driven by emotion instead of devotion to Jesus Christ because we're not sitting in his feet. And when your life is driven by emotion instead of devotion, instead of loving the people who hurt, you hurt the people that you're supposed to love. You see, it's also here that she started to find fault with people. Fault with Jesus fault with her sister, 
Do you notice that she doesn't even refer to her sister by name when she comes to Jesus? Tell my sister. She doesn't say tell Mary. That gives you an idea of where her heart really is here. And what's amazing to me is how easy it is to be fault finders, to become critical Christians. Because life isn't fair from my perspective. And, and when you make life unfair from your perspective, it's not long before you find fault with everyone but yourself. How many of us at Christmas are going to trade the Christmas spirit for a critical spirit? And we're going to spend our holiday season finding fault in this family member, finding fault in this friend, finding fault in this gift, and there's really nothing that will satisfy our hearts. Why? Because we never sat with the Savior. Do you notice here how much she spends judging her sister wrongly? One of the things that happens when you stop sitting at the feet of Jesus is it's not long before you become judgmental. Because Jesus has a way of giving you a proper perspective. Because when I sit with Jesus, what I see is I see my faults. I'm not focused on the faults of all the other people. But what I see as I sit with Jesus is not just my faults, but his forgiveness. And it's in that moment that I experience his mercy and his grace. And I go out and I become a grace giver. Instead of what I call a garbage giver who walks around, critical Christian, finding fault in everybody and spewing out the garbage. Why? Because I didn't spend any time with God. And what's amazing here is she mistakes Mary's love for laziness. Now this is not the last time that Mary is judged by people. When she pours the expensive perfume over Jesus, Judas judges her. And he calls it a waste. Jesus called it worship. Notice that she is called lazy when she really loves the Lord. She is called wasteful when she is a worshiper of the Lord. Her heart is right. It's that the people around her, their hearts aren't right. And you notice something about Mary? Scripture doesn't record that she retaliated. Scripture doesn't record that she even responded. Why? She didn't need to. She just needed Jesus. And some of you, you're going to have critical Christians in your life. They're going to judge you. They're going to call you lazy when you're really a lover of the Lord. They're going to call you wasteful when you're really a worshiper of Jesus. Why? Because they're not sitting with him. And, it, and there's this temptation to want to react, to respond, to retaliate, to, to let him have it. But you see, when you're sitting with Jesus, you don't need to do that. Pastors, some of you listening online, you pour your hearts out every day and you get the emails and the criticism and the, and, and the constant phone calls of how you messed up and you're the worst pastor ever. And here's the thing, I want to encourage you, don't respond, just keep worshiping Jesus. You see, it's here that distraction also calls to the question God, and this is maybe the, 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 the toughest one of all, the most dangerous one. And she comes and she says, Jesus, don't you think it's unfair? Jesus, don't you care? Have you ever been there where you've said those two things? Jesus, it's not fair and I don't think you care. Now, can I ask you this question? If Martha had sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to the heart of Jesus, would she have even asked the question, Christ, do you care? And some of you today, you are asking that question because of the circumstances of your life. You see, what you're doing is you're basing his love on your circumstances, not on the cross. And when I get to that place in my life, we all do if we're honest. 
where we're having a little pity party and, and maybe we've had some criticism in our life and maybe there's some circumstantial things and we're starting to feel like life isn't fair and I'm serving Jesus and somehow if I serve Jesus, everything should be easy, right? We, we have this faulty theology in our head today, this perverted perspective. And you know what I do? I just come in here and I go up to that cross and I kneel at that cross and I just look up. And you know what I see? Nail after nail after nail after nail. And in that moment, I admit to Jesus, I'm like, sorry, I even questioned your love. Now let's talk about fairness for a moment. When I look at that cross, what's not fair? What's not fair is that Jesus Christ had to die for my sin. And many of us, we can get this Martha mentality where, where it's not fair. And you're right, it's not fair. It's not fair that Jesus had to die for you. And what if life had been fair? What if the Father had made it a fairness issue? Every one of us would be heading to hell. Every one of us would be responsible for our own sin, and we can't save ourselves without a Savior. I'm glad it's not fair. I am so glad that life is not fair. Because I need the Father's forgiveness. You need the Father's forgiveness. And when we kneel before the cross, when we sit with the Savior, we discover his heart. Christ, do you care? I care this much and more. Have you experienced the care of Jesus Christ recently in your life? Or are you far from the Father because you've made this a fairness issue? And what's sad here is Martha no longer treats Jesus as a guest, and and that's bad, but here's what's worse. She's not treating him as God. And there are many of us today, because of the circumstances of our life, in our prayer life, we come at him, we don't come to him. And what happens is we come at God. It's not fair. I don't think you love me, and here's what you're going to do about it, God. Like somehow, we are now in charge of Jesus Christ. And here's what we do. God, this is what you're going to do, when you do it, and why you're going to do it. And it's all determined on me. In other words, Christ, you will fit into my calendar. And some of you right now, you're going through things in your marriage, and you put Christ on a timetable. Some of you are going through things with kids, prodigal kids, and you have put Jesus on a timetable. And if you don't come through in my timing, Jesus, then I'm going to get angry with you. Then I'm going to call that unfair. Then I'm going to call you a a God who doesn't care about my circumstances. You see, Martha's problem was that she believed she was the only one serving now, let me tell you something. Mary was serving too. We, we, we see today sitting as not serving. Sitting with the Savior is the highest form of service. Why? Because it's worship. And what we've done in the church today is we have limited service just to work. And so what we're saying is, Mary, you're not serving Jesus. I'm serving Jesus. I'm the one doing the work. All you're doing is worship, and worship really isn't serving Jesus. Yes, it is. It's the first primary thing we were called to do and created for. So what we do is we try to rip people out of worship. You need to join me. The only way to serve Jesus is the way that I serve Jesus. And so we try to get people to stop worshiping Jesus and just work for Jesus. And how many of us today, we have that mentality 
and we're over there in the kitchen and the family's having a good time and everyone's laughing and getting along and, and we're the ones in the kitchen doing the dishes and we're, we're doing it out of duty, not devotion. And so we're banging the cupboards and we're crashing things and what we're trying to passively, aggressively communicate is you need to stop doing relationship and everyone needs to come into the kitchen. But maybe what needs to happen is I need to leave the kitchen and go spend some time with friends and family. You see, it's here that you and I see the third step to simplifying the season. Number one, you've got to see it Christmas from Christ's perspective. Number two, you've got to say no to competing distractions. Number three, you've got to sit at the Savior's feet and feed on His Word. And as I mentioned to you, Mary was worshiping, Martha was working. Now, some of us are going to say, yeah, but there's a lot of work that goes into Christmas. We don't have magical elves that set everything up and do the dinner, right? And there is a work element. But let me remind you, worship always has to come first. We were created first to worship, second to work. If you and I go back to the creation story, man, his first full day of existence was the Sabbath. It is a day of worship. And what we want to do today is we want to rush out and do things for God without ever having spent time with God. But your work for God will be determined by your worship of God. And if you and I are workers and not worshipers, it's not long before we will become weary. We will become critical. We will become crabby. We will start barking at people instead of blessing people. What I call the cynical servants. And no one really wants that kind of service. Because it becomes self-serving. It's not Savior-serving. One of the dangers for you and I at this season is that we can get so wrapped up in the stuff that we miss the Savior. So wrapped up in the Christmas presence that we miss Christ's presence. My wife asked me as we were going through this series if we could simplify some things in our home around the holidays, and she shared with me about just cutting things down to four gifts. And I responded, and I said, woman, that's crazy. Guys, don't talk to your wife with that word woman, okay? Just a little wisdom there. And I said, woman, that's crazy. We don't don't actually practice what we preach. These are just principles. We're not going to actually simplify the season. We're just going to talk about simplifying the season. No, I'm kidding. I didn't say any of that. I said, that sounds good to me. Tell me what you're thinking. And so she shared this gift idea that she'd heard about, and I'm going to share that with you here in a moment, but how many of us get so caught up in the gifts? Now, why do we give gifts? Remember, it points to God's perspective of Christmas. He gave his greatest gift, his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And so as we give gifts... We're mirroring God giving gifts, right? So those gifts should point to Jesus. And and, and here's what happens so often. We want to bless our kids, but we haven't figured out what that looks like yet. And America tells us more, more. Go big or go home. And so we just pile all this stuff under the tree. And Christmas morning, our kids start to unwrap present after present. They just go from one to the next, and they don't really fully appreciate. They don't take the time to look at any gifts. And we end up with all this trash of wrapping in our house and all of these gifts, and these kids don't appreciate it. And as parents, we feel like they're, they're entitled little brats. 
And that's how Christmas starts off. But can I ask you, who put all the presents under the tree, parents? And why do we do that? What we're communicating to our kids is it's more about the stuff than it is about the Savior. So here's the four gifts that my wife encouraged us as a family to do this year. First gift is something as I give to that person, something that they want. Second gift is something they need. Third gift is something to wear. Fourth gift is something to read. Now, in order for me to give something to you that you would want, I have to be in a relationship with you, right? Have you ever gone Christmas shopping for someone you really didn't know? And you're just, I have no idea what to get. And most of the time we default to something that we would like. Something that catches our eye. Something that would be an interest to us. So if you're going to give something to somebody that they want, what are the wants of their life? What's going on in their life? A need. Rarely do we ever give gifts that are based on a true need in a person's life. But what are the needs of the kids, your spouse? What's really going on in their life? Something to wear, something to read. You know, one of the greatest gifts that we could give, especially if you've got young kids, is to give them a Bible story book. Because here's the gift that keeps on giving. Every single day throughout 2019, you're going to sit down with your kids at some point in the day and say, let's read that story together. I get a young guy that I'm discipling right now, and it's, it's so fun to see people growing in Jesus. And, and he's got this Bible story book, and he's reading it to his little baby girl. And there are times he's reading, and he's like, what? I didn't know that was in there. And so he goes to what he calls his big boy Bible, and he gets it out, and he reads, and he goes, wow, that is in there. How did I not know that Bible story? But here's the beauty. His daughter's growing up hearing those. You want to know what your kids really want? They want your time more than they want your treasure. They want to know that you care. And that's exactly what God wants. He wants our time. He wants us just to show up and spend time with him. And why is that so hard for us today? You know what most gifts that we're giving? We're giving our kids gifts to occupy them so they can't have our time. Here, I'm getting you this iPad, this phone, this tablet, this whatever, so that you can be completely preoccupied and I'm freed up of my time. The greatest treasure you can give your kids is your time because you can't get that back. You can always go get more treasure, but you can't get more time. And I'm going to tell you as a man who just graduated his last kid, greatest treasure, time. Something they want, something they need, something to wear, something to read. You see, Mary went back to the basics. And what are the basics? Prayer, the Word of God, and worship. And here's what's amazing to me. She sat with Jesus and she listened to Jesus. That's prayer. She listened to His Word. And you know what true authentic worship is? It's being in the presence of Jesus. And there's an amazing thing that can happen through, through songs. And we always default worship to music, but God's given us that music, right? And there's something about music that can bring us into the throne room of God and into the heart of God and into that place where we submit to, to what Jesus wants for our life. But there's also times where we can sing songs and our hearts can be very far from the Savior. 
And so true, authentic worship is just being in the presence of Jesus. Can I ask you, how much time this week did you spend in prayer? How much time this week did you spend in the Word? How much time this week did you truly spend in worship? Have you been in the presence of Jesus? Because it will show if you've been in the presence of Jesus. Church, I think we need to get back to the basics. What would happen if we would get back to the basics of prayer, the word, and worship? We would become not just devoted disciples. We would become dangerous disciples for Jesus Christ. My prayer every morning when I get up and my feet hit the floor is this, that Satan is worried. That Satan's like, oh no, he's awake. That dangerous disciple, that devoted disciple, and I know the first thing he's going to do is go into the presence of Jesus and the moment that that happens, as he spends that time with Jesus, we've lost We can't infect him. When I show up to the hospital to pray for people, I want Satan to say, oh, no, he's here. When I counsel couples, I want Satan to quake and to worry because couples are going to come to freedom in Jesus Christ. When I read the word to study, to get ready to preach, when I pray over this church, when I'm at Walmart, whatever it is I'm doing, I want to be that devoted disciple of Jesus Christ because a devoted disciple is a dangerous disciple. Now today I want to close by reading you a story that I think really sums all of this up. There's a young lady who almost missed the meaning of Christmas, and she says, One December I vowed to make Christmas a calm and peaceful experience. I cut back on non-essential obligations like extensive card writing, endless baking, decorating, overspending. Yet still I found myself exhausted, unable to appreciate the precious moments of my family and, of course, the true meaning of Christmas. My son Nicholas was in kindergarten that year, and it was an exciting season for a six-year-old. For weeks, he had been memorizing the lines for the winter pageant. I didn't have the heart to tell him I'd be working the night of the production, but unwilling to miss his shining moment, I spoke to his teacher. She assured me there'd be a dress rehearsal the morning of the presentation. All the parents unable to attend that evening were welcome to come, and fortunately, Nicholas seemed happy with the compromise. So the morning of the dress rehearsal, I filed in 10 minutes early, found a spot in the cafeteria floor and sat down. Around the room, I saw several other parents quietly scampering to their seats. And as I waited, the students were led into the room, each class accompanied by their teacher. They sat cross-legged on the floor. Then each group, one by one, rose to perform their song. And because the public school system had long stopped referring to the holiday as Christmas... I didn't expect anything other than fun commercial entertainment, songs of reindeer, Santa Claus, snowflakes, and good cheer. So when my son's class rose to sing Christmas Love, I was slightly taken back by the bold title. Nicholas was aglow, as were all of his classmates adorned in fuzzy mittens, red sweaters, and bright snow caps on their heads. Those in the front row, center stage, held up large letters one by one to spell out the song. As the class would sing, C is for Christmas, her child would hold up the letter C, then H is for happy, and so on, until the child holding up his portion had presented the complete message, Christmas love. The performance was going smoothly until suddenly we noticed her, a small, quiet girl in the front row, holding the letter M upside down. Totally unaware that her M now appeared as a W. The audience of first through sixth graders snickered at this little one's mistake, but she had no idea they were laughing at her, and so she held her W proudly and high. Although many teachers tried to shush the children, 
The laughter continued until the last letter was raised, and it's then that we saw it together. A hush came over the audience. Eyes began to widen. In that instant, we understood the reason that we were there, why we celebrated the holiday in the first place, even in the chaos, the purpose of our festivities. For when the last letter was held high, the message read loud and clear, Christ was love. Sometimes we need some things flipped upside down in our lives. Sometimes we need a different perspective to really see that Christmas is about Jesus Christ, the one who came and died on the cross. And that if we would just confess our sins and ask him to forgive us for our sins, we could become his kids. So let me ask you, what needs to change in your life? What needs to be flipped upside down so that you see Christmas from Christ's perspective? What needs to change in your life so that you stop being driven by all the distractions? What needs to change in your life so that you have time to sit at the feet of Jesus and feed on his word? Because I believe that if we're going to simplify the season, then you and I are going to have to see, say no, and sit. I want to pray, and then we've got two people who are going to take that step of baptism. They've accepted Christ as their Savior, and publicly they want to uh, show their church that they are disciples of Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and we'll do that. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word and how you speak and encourage our hearts. And God, I pray for whatever those things are that are drawing us away from you today. I pray for the heartache. I pray for the financial things. I pray for the stress things and stuff going on in kids' and parents' lives. And God, I just pray that you would strip away all those distractions and that we would see Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.